Bite of Courage is about ordinary people aspiring to live their best life by overcoming vulnerability and fear. It's about finding our courage and sharing our stories so we can be who we're truly meant to be and discovering in the process that we're a lot more similar than we are dissimilar. To listen, go to biteofcourage.com or your favorite podcast app. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Bite of Courage. It's 5.30 in the morning in Chicago right now, and I'm huddled in my closet so I don't wake up the rest of my family because my guest today, Alicia Bean, is a nurse who just got off her shift at the hospital where she works. So she needs to get some sleep soon before heading back into work later today. Alicia's nursing career in both Chicago and its surrounding areas has allowed her to work in a variety of specialties, including pediatrics, cardiac care, the ICU, step-down, which is the floor that transitions patients out of the ICU, post-anesthesia recovery, and the radiology lab, to name a few. Her passion, though, is working in the emergency room not only because she can offer traumatic care to her patients, but because she's part of a work environment that feels more like family, something uniquely special to hospital emergency departments where nurses, doctors, technicians, paramedics, firefighters, police officers, and other support staff bond under life and death circumstances. As all of our medical personnel and support staff are becoming the country's frontline fighters from the war against COVID-19, their camaraderie has never been stronger and neither has our admiration and gratitude for their courage under fire. Good morning, Alicia. Good morning. Welcome to Bite of Courage. Thank you. I know time is a precious commodity for you now more than ever, so thank you for the sacrifices you're making and for getting up so early this morning to join me. Thank you for taking the time and bringing attention to it. I really appreciate that. Oh, it's my pleasure. Well, the fact that you suggested doing this so early in the morning after working a 12-hour shift is astonishing and a testament to your character. So we'll get right into this so you can get some shut-eye, okay? Sounds good. Thanks. (laughs) Can you describe for me what you're experiencing right now during this pandemic? I think right now, the hardest part of it is everything is backwards from what it normally should be. When you look at any job, any day-to-day work environment, there's a certain flow of things. There's going to be certain rushes. There's going to be certain lulls. There's going to be certain ways that things function. The emergency room, any hospital floor is the exact same. There are certain things that we expect and don't expect. There are certain increases of patients and decreases of patients. Everything right now is just backwards from all of that. We don't have any specific flow that makes sense with what we've all become accustomed to in those departments. The patients are coming in in extremely different waves. We're having lulls that we never would have expected before. And when we get these patients, they're presenting in a completely different manner than we would ever see before. Something that we all really appreciate in this field is the fact that the body works a certain way. And it's not working that way with this virus. And that's incredibly frustrating for us. The things that we would expect to see, we're not seeing. The things that the normal path and patterns that happen aren't happening with this. There's something that we do in the emergency room is 
just like a look across the room triage where you can just look at a patient and you're supposed to be able to, in a matter of seconds, identify how sick, especially with kids, how sick they are. It's an across the room triage. You can't even do that with these patients because they can look absolutely fine. But the second you put them on the monitors or you see their pulse ox, which is how much oxygen they're getting, it's not even comparable to how they look, how they present. And the way that they spiral down the tubes and get worse progressively is at such a different rate and manner than we're used to. And so that's incredibly frustrating. Everything is just backwards from what it normally would be. There's no pattern that you can rely on. And that's what we've come to be so comfortable in. That's what makes you progressively better at your job. When you're in your job for a long period of time, it's those patterns that you rely on. It's it's those things that make you a resource versus somebody who's a new grad. It's because you're used to these patterns, you're used to these flows, and we can't even rely on that right now. So everybody's just on high alert. Very much so. Very much so. Always acutely aware with every patient that comes in, could this possibly be COVID? And then trying to properly balance that out with not always going directly to COVID, but yet still you always have to go directly to COVID. And then work your way backwards to try to isolate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This whole thing has obviously been hard to wrap our minds around just the sheer magnitude of what's happening. I I got a state of emergency alert on my phone the other day from Illinois requesting licensed healthcare workers to sign up online. I think it was something like IllinoisHelps.net maybe to fight Mm COVID-19. Yeah. And of course, as you know, McCormick Place, which is the largest convention center in the country with over, I think, something like 2 million square feet is being converted into this field hospital right now. But It does seem, thankfully, like the mass hysteria has gotten to be more of a collective calm. But if there's one thing that seems consistently clear, it's the imperative for having proper or sufficient medical supplies and robust testing, not just for stabilizing the economy, but for medical personnel like you who are on the front lines. Yeah. Do you feel like you and your colleagues have enough personal protective gear and other things like ventilators and test kits and beds and people power and so forth? I think what is happening, and I'm sure my hospital is not an exception to that, because we're in disaster mode, which is basically all of us have prepared for disasters at any point. Hospitals always have to be on the ready for any situation. I think the problem is most of us have prepared for natural disasters, weather disasters, We've seen before, and it's all over the news, FEMA's used to just presenting to one location, the fires in California, and helping with the disaster there. So weather scenarios, we're all accustomed to mass shooter scenarios. Those are the kinds of disasters that we've been preparing for this whole time. This kind of disaster is something that not only the people who are outside of the hospital, is it throwing them off guard? It's throwing us off guard too, because this is something that We never expected not to be able to tap into the hospital surrounding you for help because that's part of what the disaster setup is. So if my hospital gets hit with a disaster, I have an external resources through other hospitals that can come and help me. And we can't even really do that right now because it's hitting all of us at the same time when it comes to PPE. Everybody is on high alert. And everyone's being protective. Yeah. And I think 
trying desperately to say, okay, can I spare this? Can I spare that? But what if it happens to me? What if I get that influx? Because we don't know when these surges are going to come because our regular flows are just completely backwards from what they were before. When it comes to the PPE, all of it is changing. We are definitely not using the same type that we've used this entire time. And I think a lot of that is because the hospitals are buying it wherever they can, however they can, through smaller locations. I just got a connection with a resource that was given to me of a factory that shut down everything in our local area that they were normally making and are just making PPE. And so that's just one more opportunity for a hospital to be able to have some kind of PPE from somewhere. And I understand the hospital's desire in trying to use it wisely and make sure that they have enough because they don't ever want to be in a scenario where we would possibly have to go into a room of a potential COVID patient or a known COVID patient with nothing. But it is difficult because they're on guard with it. And so when you hear on the news media of, I only get one of this for a shift or one of that for a shift, I definitely understand that. And I think we're all kind of experiencing that. I know the hospitals are trying to be wise with their resources and make sure that it doesn't all fly off the shelves to every patient, but it is a little frustrating. It is a little difficult to have to struggle for those I personally have always had it, but I've also had to protect it and make sure that I put it in my paper bag after I take it off and then reuse it for that shift to make sure that I have something covering it. And the N95s in particular, those have to fit a certain weight. Every year, we all have to go through a particular test to make sure that we have the right seal to our face. And when you have bulk of all of it, it's a little bit more difficult to find that particular fit to your face. I just saw a picture of this new Time magazine, People of the Year, and it's all healthcare workers that have the indentations right around the bridge of their nose and around their mouth and across the brow of their forehead. And it's pretty impressive because that is what we look like. I mean, these things have to really fit onto your face. And when you're wearing them all day long, that is what happens. With the ventilators, we're definitely using everyone that we can the machines that a lot of people are seeing on TV, those are the normal ventilators that we use. But because resources are scarce right now, we're using ventilators just to make sure that we have enough so that we're not in a scenario where we cannot ventilate somebody who needs it. We'll use transportation ventilators, the kinds that are small enough to go on ambulances. Those aren't the stationary ones, but that's what we're using just so we can make sure we have enough. So you can tell that resources are scarce and we're feeling it thus far. My bulk of hospitals has been able to provide it, but it's definitely different quality, different. You can tell things are scarce. Are you in a full hazmat suit and 95, all the protective gear that you need? No, um, we're not. It's a lot of the, uh, you'll see pictures from other countries where they have the full head-to-toe white suit with the hood and the glasses. Those aren't really what we're using for us. It's very much, we have the face shield with the N95 underneath it over our nose and mouth, and then the face shield to protect our eyes and any kind of splatter uh, 
or pathogen that would be up in the air. And then we have gowns that we wear, gloves, and usually we have something on our hair as well, just to make sure that it doesn't settle. Our hospital has provided surgical scrubs. So what we do is we come in, change into our surgical scrubs. That way our clothes that we were wearing when we came in can remain in the locker room. And then once we leave, or if for any reason we feel like we need to change those scrubs into a different surgical scrubs, whether we were in the middle of an intubation or or scenarios where you would expect more COVID to actually be exposed into the air, you can change your scrubs again. And then once you leave, you change back into your regular house clothes and then come home. And what's the process for you when you get home? You have a family? I do. I I'm in a spot where it's difficult for me to self-isolate, and I have a sweet husband who won't let me sleep in the garage so that I can stay away from everybody. But usually when I come home, there's Lysol set up. We used to have Clorox wipes, but with those being scarce out in the grocery stores right now, we can't do that as much anymore. But when I come in the house, I take off all my clothes right there, put them in the washer and take a nice hot shower before I come back out. And then I will clean out the area where my clothes settled when I first came in, spray everything down, my keys, the doorknob, anything that I would have touched, and then go back in the bathroom, wash my hands. And then I can go ahead and function in my house. More recently, over the last couple of weeks, I just feel more comfortable wearing my mask because you never know when you get sick. And they're giving us two weeks to watch out for symptoms. And when we have the amount of positive patients that we have, my two weeks have started over so many times, I can't even count. So I just feel more comfortable wearing my mask in my house as well sure, to try and protect my family because I don't know when I would have gotten it, if I have it, when I'm going to start being symptomatic. And part of the scare is that we've heard that people can be carriers and asymptomatic. So just from breathing or talking... We don't know how this is going to affect ourselves or our families. So it's amazing the process that you have to go through. You can't just come home and fall asleep. Right. Wow. That's why you guys are superheroes right now because of what you're doing. You know, it seems too like one of the other complications that's emerging from this pandemic that's particularly heartbreaking is the people who are dying without their loved ones by their side. And I've seen some beautiful interviews and clips of videos with medical staff who are helping these dying patients to connect through technology. Have you gone through any scenarios whereby you're with somebody who's dying from this and not able to be with a loved one or taking their last rites and so forth? In the emergency room, it's difficult to do that. I think ICU staff and the floor are brilliant at making sure that they can provide those opportunities. I've seen similar interviews with family members who just remain on FaceTime and talk to them randomly like they would if they were just sitting by the hospital bed. Sometimes they're quiet, sometimes they talk. And I think that the medical staff upstairs and the ICU staff are really brilliant at that. In the emergency room, it's a lot more difficult to do that most of the time because things are so critical. But I think... One thing that I've been really proud of, I work with an exceptional team and any nurse would say that when it comes to their team. So I I know I'm not in the minority with that. I just know my people and I'm very proud of them. But I think one of the pieces that I 
I'm so thankful for in scenarios like this is knowing the team that I have when we're intubating somebody or we know somebody's going down a direction we don't want them to go. There is always somebody there. People aren't dying alone. When you look at these numbers that are on the board of how many deaths they are and the news people and the journalists say that somebody's mother, brother, son, cousin, friend, that was somebody's patient too. And we know their faces. We remember them. Mm. And we were there when they died. A lot of times the faces that they see are ours while we're trying to calm them down, while we're trying to let them know it's going to be okay. I have a friend of mine who is as tough as nails, one of the toughest nurses you're ever going to find, but one of those hearts that are just bigger than her body size. They're just big old, big old heart, and you wouldn't know it unless you were in a critical situation. Make a point to stroke somebody's forehead. Make a point to hold somebody's hand. We're the faces that we see, and every time there is a death, we remember the last things that we said to them. Those are the things that we hold with us. And those are the things that we talk about with each other. I remember what they said. I remember what I said. I remember how I tried to calm them down. They're not alone. We're there. We can't replace, nor would we ever pretend to replace a family member, but they have a piece of our heart too. And we're trying to make sure that they're okay while they're still awake or while they're dying. That's so moving. And it's really impactful. Not only is this a father, mother, son, daughter, sister, cousin, friend, this is a patient and you're looking into the eyes of another human being and it's a, a really powerful connection. It is. It is. It's it's a privilege to have. It's one that we fight really hard not to have those moments because we want to save everybody. That's why we do what we do. Yeah. But we're there and and they get a piece of our heart each time too. That's so beautiful. Thank you for reminding all of us to to think about that as we lift you up in our thoughts. How are you taking care of yourself and staying emotionally connected and healthy? That's hard for me because my natural instinct is just to kind of curl into myself and just be to myself. I'm super blessed with the husband I have. He knows me very well and definitely knows how to make me laugh and knows how to pull me out of that. And that's been a definite grounding piece for me, a constant that I don't think I could do without praying a lot, working through this, I think, with God and trying to figure this out with him and where it is he wants me to be in this. Those are the kinds of things that definitely help a great deal. Do you have a routine like when you're driving home or when you get home or at some point during the day? Or is it just sort of a constant thing where you feel like you're in this state of prayer? I wish it was a constant routine. I wish there was rhyme or reason to my days right now. It really isn't. I think like everybody else, we're just trying to figure out each day. It just hits you and you just kind of have to to pray it through and and try and work it out every day is so different from the last it's nice that you can turn to prayer 
and have some quiet time or alone time with your thoughts. Yeah. So you can decompress from that. And I have people that I can reach out to as well and pray with me and work through this stuff with me, work through some of these bigger questions with me, both my team at the hospital, my group that'll pray with me and my husband and I talk through all of this stuff constantly. And that helps so much just to get me out of my own head. Yeah, that's so important with anything ever. I mean, to get to get through difficult times in general, it's so helpful to, to be able to have prayer and some quiet time. I'm glad that you have a circle of people and friends, family that you can do that with. It's so important. I, I mean, talk about trying not to take work home with you. I, it, it, this is a, has to be 24-7 for you. Yeah, it is. It is. And I think what's so helpful is my inner circle, they know me. So they're not expecting me to be okay 24-7. They know that I'm working through this. They know that I'm going to have my ups and downs. And I think that's a lot of the support you need right now with what it is that we're experiencing, both at work and at home. I've worked with my team for a long time. I've been married for a long time. And I have the family and friends that I have that are pretty constant and I've had for a long time. And we all just kind of know each other. And so we don't have expectations of you have to be a certain way. We're all really raw right now. Everybody is. And being patient with each other while we're working through this together makes a big difference. I think that's one of the silver linings of this. You can see how we're interconnected and how everything we do affects somebody else in the larger scheme of things. So I'm glad to hear that you have that. And I know that you're a support for so many other people too. So it's wonderful to hear. Can you share some of the small victories that you're seeing in this pandemic, patients that are being treated and released? Because I'm not on the floor or the ICU side, I don't get to see that as often. I think what I've found joy in is seeing the real hearts of the staff that I work with and how intentional and compassionate they are in the jobs that they're in, even down to the housekeepers who are cleaning after these patients and have to get in these rooms and clean every every square inch of it, not only for the staff, but for the next patient who comes in there. They love their job and they know that they're doing it for something bigger than themselves and at the risk of themselves. It's the same with the doctors and the nurses and the techs and my secretaries. We're all tired. We're all exhausted, but we keep doing it because it's worth somebody's life. Wow. And seeing people do that, seeing people willing to do that is, it's a privilege to watch. I think exactly what you just said is what gives meaning to our lives, feeling useful and being of service to other human beings. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think even people at home fail to realize what a gift it is that they're doing for other people. When you see people lighting candles or people putting hearts in windows or making a point to drive by somebody's house and just let them know that they're loved or making a point to make sure that somebody has enough groceries and how to get those safely to them. When you see people step outside of themselves and take care of others 
in what limited manner we're able to right now. It's it's amazing to watch. It does it does good for everybody around them. That's how we can all help. We don't all have the medical knowledge to be able to go into the hospitals, but there are smaller ways. And we're starting to see that more and more, just even through music. Some of I saw some videos last week of these doctors that were mm-hmm. singing and playing the piano. I think Elvis Francois, a surgeon, and another colleague of his who was playing the piano. And wow, talk about power through music just connects people. And I think he's saying Imagine by John Lennon, and it was just so moving. But like you said, just driving by people's homes or putting up signs, paying for someone's groceries, delivering groceries, making masks. It makes me feel really proud to be living in a country where people do stuff like that. It certainly brings out more of the best in people than the worst. There's always going to be those people, but surely brings out the true colors of what's the best in all of us. I completely agree. And that's why we do this, because people have the potential to be so much bigger and better than whatever situation they're in, and they're worth fighting for. That's a really nice sentiment. What are you most worried about personally? I think like everybody in the hospital, we all go through the same cycle. The first thing that you start focusing on and worrying about is dying. What if I get sick? What if I end up on a ventilator? What if that's me? And then little by little, you expand out of that and you start thinking, what if I get my family sick? What if I spread it to, you start thinking through each family member and what their medical diagnosis is and what if they get it? What if they get on the ventilator and it expands out and expands out from there? I think those are the biggest fears at first. One of the nurses that I work with, it was so funny because they just said it so off the top of their head, but it couldn't be more true. I wish I could see this. I wish these patients would come in with like, rashes all over their bodies or profusely throwing up and having diarrhea everywhere. Cause then you could look at them and say, yep, they have it. Now I know now I can be more careful, but that's not how this is. The symptoms of onset are so different now than what they were just a couple of weeks ago and so much broader. And there's so many more varieties to them and how patients are presenting. So we just don't know And then we don't know if we have it on us. We don't know if we've just touched a surface with it. And those are the things that scare you. And I think going through that process, it's hard to watch a whole country go through that entire process at the same time. And I really struggled with that probably a week before Illinois went on complete shutdown. I was really struggling with that. And After about that first week, it kind of came to my remembrance, something I can't take credit for it. I learned it. The idea of the lizard brain. I don't know if you've ever heard of that or if it's just something that I heard from one person in particular when they were teaching it. But it's that idea of almost comparable to like a trauma brain where you completely shut down and you go to like your absolute base way of thinking. It's not higher level. It's not thinking through things properly, analyzing them appropriately. It's just like this little lying lizard brain that just tells you worst case scenario, here's what could happen. And you just get stuck in that thinking and it's terrifying. And you have to start remembering that 
that's so not the higher brain function at all. Like I've got so many more pieces to that. And I've seen so many of my coworkers go through that just like I did, where you're terrified. You're terrified for yourself because maybe you have very baseline medical history, but those are the things that are becoming a problem. And if you were to get it, it would be crippling and then you would end up on a ventilator. You're too young to end up on a ventilator and you start just going through this cycle of the what ifs. And it's not until you realize that, wait a minute, hang on a second. First of all, I have no idea if I'm going to get this or not. And until I do, I'm going to stop freaking out about it because what good is it serving? It's not serving me any good at all. It's difficult to remember that because this whole time, the one constant has been, yes, this has hit older adults and healthcare workers. And so I think from a healthcare worker perspective, that's always been like echoed through our brain. It's like this sounding bong in our brain constantly repeating, but that's just the lizard brain just repeating that. That serves us no purpose. It's not going to help anything. And until we remember that and kind of realize, okay, I can only fix today. This is all I can do. I think in that first week, I was really struggling because it was like, why, why, God, why would you let something like this happen? Like, this is too much. Why would something like this happen? How could anything like this ever overwhelm an entire world like this? Where are we supposed to go? What are we supposed to do? And, and it took me a little bit, but I realized I was asking the wrong question because we're all struggling right now with not being able to be in control. Our schedules are all thrown off. We're not functioning the way that we should. My day-to-day is not what it normally is at all. And it's frustrating because we're all in control of our everyday. And it's like, why am I asking such big questions when I can't even handle the day that I'm having right now? What makes me think I can handle these big answers for some huge global pandemic when really I'm just trying to get through today, right? So simplifying that down, stop getting into that lower brain function, that lower brain function. I'm sure there's a better way to phrase that, but that simplistic brain function, thinking through it logically, thinking through it honestly of what I truly can and cannot handle and focusing on those things is really helped a lot. It's really helpful to hear how you break that down, something that's overwhelming so that it's more manageable. It's such an important coping skill. And when you mentioned the lizard brain, all I could think of is all the people racing to the store to buy toilet paper, but it's because they feel out of control and that's the only thing they can feel in control of. And it it is that lizard brain. I think it's the amygdala and the limbic part of the brain that goes into that fight or flight mode, that survival mode. Right. But what separates us from the lizard brain as human beings is our ability to reason through. And like you said, it really truly is living one day at a time from moment to moment and breaking these thoughts down so that we can expand or give ourselves the space, create more space so that we can think these things through with a sound mind and uh, identify or isolate what is truly a problem. Mm-hmm. We can only control how we react and to panic 
only causes more fear. And then it's that herd mentality. And that's why it's so nice to hear you say that because you are out on the front lines right now. So I'm glad that we're talking about it because I think as a country as a whole, just even globally, that's one of the wonderful lessons that can come out of this is just to to pause, to take a deep breath, to to know that this too shall pass and that we can get through this. I mean, such a cliche now that we're all in this together, but we truly are. We are more similar than we are dissimilar. So we are. I think it helps too with the idea of we feel better when we can do something. You know, we feel better when we have emotions. And I think what's helped me a lot is I almost start getting mad now when I get myself on that hamster wheel because, like, you can go down Alice in Wonderland's rabbit hole, right? You can start thinking these things through and it'll just suck you in and you just get into more and more worst case scenarios. And what helps me is I almost get mad at myself when I do that now. Like, really? What, what right do I have or what is the point? I have no proof that any of that is going to happen. So why am I wasting my time? And if you can shift your emotion to something like that, that's really helped me too. Yeah, that's great advice. And like you said earlier, you've got prayer. But for anybody who, whether they believe in God or have a higher power, whatever their concept is of that, for me, what that boils down to is having a moment to yourself to just reflect and pause and take a deep breath. Because we need those quiet moments in order to even be aware of what we're feeling. So we can see how our emotions are constantly changing. We don't have to react to them or get attached to them. I think it's that moment of pause that gives us the gift of awareness and keeps the lizard brain from taking over our better thinking. And then we can move into a place of acceptance and break it down. Ask ourselves, like you said, why am I worried about tomorrow when I can barely manage today? Yeah, even though it's hard, that's the point. What's your message to people who want to be more helpful and useful? I think there are so many opportunities right now to be a blessing to others. I think it's easy to be like me and to suck into yourself and get hopeless or depressed or unbelievably sad or overwhelmed. The whole point of all of this, the whole point of why I do what I do, why you're seeing people come back from retirement to try and take care of people is because it is about people. There are people around you who have needs that can be filled easily you can make something. It's unbelievable to me the amount of people that I've heard of who are making masks, especially now where they're saying that it's even better to wear it when you're just going out and about to protect other people from what you might potentially be carrying. These hearts in the windows that people are making, those are beautiful. And it's such an encouragement to see when you see that finding little ways where you can send messages to people, reaching out to people, just on a daily basis to make sure they're okay, especially those that live by themselves, to make sure that they're doing all right. Make them smile today. Help them to have a better day because they might be feeling the exact same way that you're feeling. 
I think there's a lot of needs that are out there that we don't even realize. I know food pantries, it's been heartbreaking to me to see how many food pantries are struggling right now and how many people are lining up for those food pantries. There's so many things you can do, even if you don't have the funds to do anything for that. There's so many opportunities to do to help take care of people that way. So finding those things, it'll help your day be a little bit brighter and you're really blessing somebody else in a big way. That's how we take care of each other. Yeah, I love that. It's too bad it takes something like this to hammer the message home. But if we just asked ourselves, what can I do? How can I be the reason why someone else doesn't quit today? It could be just as simple as smiling at your neighbor across the street or waving. Yeah, it's amazing to me. People automatically think doctors, nurses, but you might know people in your inner circle who are housekeepers, who are transport people in the hospital, who deliver food in the hospital, who are security guards in the hospital, secretaries in the hospital. Encourage them, cheer them on. They're doing amazing work too. We couldn't do it without them. The things that they're doing are exceptional, exceptional. And so find those people, encourage each other. Yeah, just the the support from the bottom up makes us that much stronger as a whole. Absolutely. Can you tell me what your definition of courage is? That's a hard one for me because I feel so often that courage is something that you look back on and find to be courageous. It's not a common thing for me to look at anything in my life and say, wow, I was really brave there. That's not something that I do most of the time, if ever. I know my EMS coordinator had posted something in our paramedic room for all of our medics, which I thought was just brilliant and I think just sums up courage really, really well and I love. It's Franklin Roosevelt's quote, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear. I definitely feel is a good definition of courage. Yeah, I love that quote. You know, it's interesting because I usually ask my guests for their definition of courage at the top of each show. Something told me this morning to wait till the end today with you, probably because I know you're part of a very special group of human beings, COVID or not, who by nature don't view themselves ever as being courageous. But I'm sure I speak for countless others when I say that you and your colleagues embody courage. So. Thank you for being so passionate about your life's work and for giving yourself those moments of pause. And like FDR's quote says, for assessing in spite of your fear that something else is more important and that is being of service to others at the expense sometimes of your own life. So I guess that's a long way of saying thank you, but I don't know, thank you seems inadequate at the moment. You know, it's it's a privilege and an honor to be able to to take care of people. That's why we do what we do. And we're just, we're thankful to be able to do it. Find a need, fill a need. Yeah. Well, it's an honor and a privilege to have had you on the show. So thank you for taking your precious time today. I'm going to let you go so you can get some sleep and spend a little bit of time with your family. Thank you for having me. As always. Thanks again to my listeners for tuning in. 
I really appreciate it. Until next time, stay strong, stay healthy, and take a bite of courage. See you next week. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to Bite of Courage. If you'd like to learn more about my guests or you'd like to leave a comment, please go to biteofcourage.com or leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget to check out my blog, humormewithmo.com, where I write about finding humor in life's absurdities. Until next time, be bold, be brave, be daring, and take a bite of courage. This is a trio production, all rights reserved. Cause it